0: If you can't open up to Jeremiah 29, Uh, we're going to explain, like I said, the next two weeks today being why we do what we do. So the engine, what's motivating us in the way that we do ministry. When we go through Mark, and we're saying we're all about what Jesus is about. We, we're all about Jesus. Okay, well, how does that look? Well, what's motivating this? Where's this coming from? Um, and it's a perfect example in Jeremiah twenty nine. I go through um, this passage once a year to remind my community and my uh, redemption community once a year uh, through this passage to remind them what we're doing, why we're doing what we're doing. And there's a famous verse in here in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. We we love. Throwing it on coffee mugs and shirts, right? And it's so ironic because it's like means the exact opposite of what we say that it means. So I'll blow that idol up in a minute, but. Um Jeremiah chapter 29. um, You you saw Brandon come up here, and he picked it up from verse 4. I'm going to actually start in verse 1 and and explain that. But before I do, let me just give you a little bit of background. I've tried to lay out the story of God as much as I could. So you remember this, right? Genesis 1 and 2, God creates all things good. Genesis 3, the world falls apart. Well, Genesis 4, you start to find this, this group of people gathering. And eventually, Genesis 12, God identifies a group of people, okay? They're called the Israelites. Eventually, you find called the Israelites in Exodus. Well, this people of God cannot get it right. And I've told this story. They can't get it right. They can't get it right. Until eventually God says, hey, listen, if you don't stop worshiping false gods or you don't stop being prideful, I'm going to punish you. Like a good, just father, he says, listen, there's consequences to your actions, man. Like this is not okay. And they don't listen and God punishes them. And how he punishes them is he takes this large nation, this Babylonian nation, and he uses this nation to go kidnap the people of God. He says, listen, I told you. So he sends the Babylonians to capture uh, the, the, the Israelites, the people of God, and take them from Jerusalem. And this is a period in your Bible called the exile. They are exiled from their homeland. And they are nomads, pilgrims, soldiers. They, they are in another land that they are not supposed to be in. Okay. Now, the reason that's a big deal is um, there, there's two folds, Okay. There are three agendas that's going on when this takes place. The first agenda is the Babylonians themselves. We see the Babylonians take the Israelites, and they have an agenda. They're not just capturing them. They're capturing a lot of other nations. If you know your history, the Babylonians did work, okay? And as they're going around capturing all these nations, the Israelites find themselves amidst other nations that have been captured with different cultures, different beliefs, different philosophies, different understandings of the world. And they find themselves mixing and, 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 and listening and what's going on. Okay, so the Babylonians um, have mastered capturing people. And here's what they figured out. They know there's really three ways to um, suppress a people or, or at least make them your own. The first way is this. If you have a people group in your country and you don't like them, exile them. Like get, kick them out of your country. It's simple. Kick them out. But let's see, real quickly, they figured out that doesn't work because when you kick a large group of people out of your country who has roots, they try to fight their way back in. So, okay, no, no, no. So another way that they tried is they tried to suppress them. If we can't kick them out, let's put them into slavery. Okay, so we actually see this with the Egyptians in Exodus, right? So in Exodus, you see Pharaoh goes, just suppress them. Make them all slaves. Suppress them. But, but the problem with that is there starts to be uprising. So the Babylonians figured it out. They said, man, let's not just kick them out. Let's not just suppress them. Here's what we do. We bring them into our culture and we assimilate them into our culture. And slowly but surely, we have their kids marry our kids. Slowly but surely, we impose our philosophies over their philosophies. Slowly but surely, we let them splinter off and lose in maybe one generation or two generations, or three generations uh, down the road, they won't exist anymore. You won't be able to tell Israelite from Babylonian anymore. And they knew this was successful. So you actually see this in the story of Daniel. As soon as Daniel and all of his hoods come in to to Babylonian, they change their names. So if you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's not their real names. That's their Babylonian names. They had their names changed, right? So, So they are changing their names, they're changing their customs, they are assimilating them. So there's the first uh, agenda. Babylonians want to assimilate these people. The second agenda comes from the Israelites themselves. They're, they're the prophets in there. And this is what they're saying. No, 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 no. We hate the Babylonians. Fine. We're going to be in the city, but it's only for a minute. We got to get out of here. And so they begin to create tribalism. This, this um, isolation. We're in the culture, but we hate the culture. Put a front on, but we need to get out of here as quickly as we can. And, and that's not right either. And the third agenda is God's agenda. And that's what we're going to read this morning. It's a letter from Jeremiah as God tells Jeremiah what to write. And and we learn what God's agenda is in having the people of God in Babylon. So let's pick it up. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. It says this. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles of the exiles, and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I just explained that, right? So this is a letter to those who have been exiled, taken away by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. This was after King Jechinoah and the mother and the queen mother, the eunuchs and the officials of Judah, Judea and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. So this is after all these people have left. Now this letter is going to go out to you and then he explains how it got to the hands, but it's a bunch of names we can't pronounce. So um, verse four, this is what it says. This is what the letter says. Let's get at the engine of why we do what we do. Verse four, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Stop, okay? If you're new and you don't know how this is work, we're just gonna go verse by verse. I'm gonna explain it. We're gonna continue to break it down. It's a big Bible study, okay? Um, The first thing I need you to understand is the third agenda comes from a place of God's will. So yes, the Babylonians have captured you, but hear me when I say this. I have sent you there. This was my will. I put you amongst the pagans. I have placed you there. This was my doing. This is the first part of the letter. Let's make it clear. No matter what these prophets are saying, no matter what the Babylonians say, I have sent you here. Okay? That's the first part of the the, um, message we need to get across. And then this is what he says to them. After I've sent you there, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So the first thing he's going to say is set up shop, get comfortable. Plant plant gardens, vineyards, build homes. And he he says, uh, have your sons uh, be given away into marriage, your daughters, not to the Babylonians. I want to make sure that's clear. saying, like, essentially, find other Israelites, grow. And he makes this last line where he says, and do not decrease. Why would he say that? Why would he say not do not decrease? Well, what's the Babylonian agenda? For them to decrease, to slowly taper off. And he says, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're going to be amongst the Babylonians, but I want you to grow. I want you to get comfortable. You're not going anywhere anytime soon. Okay? So he continues that. Promise, we'll put all this in context for us in a minute. Uh, verse seven, after he tells him to do do not decrease, verse seven, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. You have to understand this is a letter being written by God from Jeremiah. Jeremiah is reading it to the Israelites and they hear that, okay, not only do I want you to plant vineyards, not only do I want you to establish yourself in homes and, 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 and marry and grow, but I want you to pray for Babylon. I want you to pray for Nebuchadnezzar. This is bonkers to them. Are you serious? They've captured us. Yeah, yeah, because hear me. If Babylon prospers, you'll prosper. It's in Babylon's welfare, you will find your welfare. But they're a pagan nation. Yeah, I know. I've put you there. Pray for them. Let let that place prosper. Now this for them is total dissonance. Like total, so much so he he has to make this declaration um, about the prophets when he says this in verse eight, for thus says the Lord of hosts for the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are proclaiming to you in in my name. I do, I did not send them declares the Lord because their message is, we just got to get through this fine. Use the city go into Babylon, but we, we are going to start our own tribe. He saying, I didn't send them to say that. And he goes on to even actually say this, to prove that he didn't, this isn't what he's saying. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So, so what he's saying is don't listen to, 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 to these guys, these prophets, because these prophets are trying to say, no, no, like we're in Babylon, but we're only here for a moment. Let's just, it's all going to hell. Let's get out of here. Fine, we're, we, we hate Babylon, just we're here, let's start our own tribe. But also, don't taper off and give in to the Babylonians. And so there's this weird walk that the Israelites have to do now. They have to be in the culture, they have to be a part of this culture, but they can't succumb to it. And at the same time, not succumbing to it, they have to be their own citizens. They have to be something different. And, and this is where we get this term exile. They are dual citizens in a way, right? They ultimately belong to the nation of Israel. They have, to, they have a way of life that they have to hold on to, but they have to do it among, um, among this pagan nation. And then, then you get this famous verse where, where he says in verse 11, uh, he says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. What I love about this is to the, the Jews who are hearing that, they're going, God's almost saying, listen, you're going you're gonna to get this, these plans of, of welfare and hope, but it's going to be in the end. Right now it's going to suck. Okay? And we are like, yeah, God's got plans to prosper. It's like... What are you talking about right now? Are you okay with 70 years of exile? Like so so this idea is actually the opposite of the way we try to tout it, right? And, and so this is what we hold on to Christians. We live in and we understand that he's going to return one day, but we live amongst the nations because God has wonderful plans for us. And then this beautiful word then in verse 12. After God rescues them, after God does what he does, we are recipients of what he does and we are always reactionary to his grace. The word then. Once God does something, then. We don't earn it. We don't drive for it. We don't white knuckle our way into it. We're not sitting in church because we're awesome. We're not great. We're not wiser. We're not cool. We are not it. God did something. Then we respond. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your hearts, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is this letter, and it actually goes on. You can read more of it, but I want to stop right there. Here's, here's what's crazy, okay? So here's the, the um, Jeremiah letter. Why would that drive us? We believe that this is the exact format that the New Testament puts in front of us. That we, we believe the New Testament church, the power of the Holy Spirit, um, presents these same ideas that this, this is the mission of the church, to be amongst the Babylonians, amongst the nations, but to not be of them, but not also to, to, to isolate ourselves as this church that's only introspective. Um, we believe this is the mission of God and doing what he's doing. And what's crazy is all the correlations, right? Because um, think of the Israelites uh, of the Babylonian agenda, right? So, so, so the Babylonian agenda is to have them taper off and lose them. Tell me as Christians, that's not what we're struggling with. Like here's, here's what the culture puts in front of us. Yes, you can be in the culture as long as you accept me for who I am, as long as truth is relative, as long as you have my understanding of tolerance, and we're losing Christians daily right? Because suddenly now we have to step back and go, yeah, Macklemore saying love sounds really good. I like the beat. I like the song. I like the message. And now I'm getting caught up in the emotions of what the culture is putting in front of me. And so, so we're becoming like the Babylonians, but that's not what we're called to do. And yet we have prophets, we have pastors, we have churches who look at the world like an us versus them mentality. Hey, let's build our own tribe. Let's be isolated. Let, let's, let's work. Yeah, yeah, they're good. I'm going to go to work, but I'm gritting my teeth. It's the world versus us. And that's also not what we're called to do. I mean, this is, and Peter picks up in the New Testament on this language perfectly. And he starts his letter, which we're going to read uh, next week. He starts his letter to the exiles. He refers to you and I and the church as exiles. <laughs> So let me just give you a couple correlations that I love is beautiful. First of all, it is a letter, right? So verses 1 through 4, we're told in Jeremiah 29 that it's a letter. What's crazy, and by God's providence, all of the New Testament is letters written from God to us how to operate this. Uh, we find in verses 5 and 6 a clear incl- uh, uh, inclination, as we, uh, I'll read it again so you know, to build houses, live in them, plant gardens and their produce, take wives, to do all these things, do not decrease. We're told the same idea, to live amongst them in Matthew 6, aren't we? To, to, to be there, to be a light unto the nations in John 17, to be uh, in the world, but not of the world. Let me continue on. Verse 7, you, you see a clear idea as he tells us to pray for the welfare of the city. Let me read something to you. This is in the New Testament. This is not from Jeremiah, but listen to how close it is. In 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says this, first of all then, I urge you that supplications and prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings And all who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. To to finish, Christians are not called to live a life of ease. And and let me just say this very quickly. Um, This becomes, or I'm going to get in trouble. Some of you guys are going to be mad, okay? Okay. but this, this becomes super sticky for, for you, um, I'll use the term older, but hyper-conservatives, okay? Because you have in your mind that America is God's country. And listen, listen, I love, like Olympics come around next year, you better believe I'm beating my chest for all the goals, right? Okay? Uh, like I'm all about America. I love me some USA. I can't help but watch the, the, the movie Miracle and not cry every single time, okay? I, I'm all about it. But listen, my allegiance is not to the United States of America. I am, as Augustine said in the second century, a dual citizen. I am first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of God. Okay? I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, but I'm also here a citizen of America. Now listen, this is important. Um, A flag cannot be baptized, man. A flag cannot take communion and a flag cannot confess with their heart and believe with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. A flag cannot do that. Therefore, a flag cannot be saved. We do not believe that we can be, we don't even want a Christian nation. That's not what we're, That's so breathe, breathe, okay? Our goal is not to make, like that's not the drive. America will fail us, okay? We, so, so hear me. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God And then I am a citizen of America. We won't have a a Christian flag and then an America. That's, listen, I love America. I'm just telling you, our ideologies tend to get crossed when we force Christianity on other people. That's not what we want, man. That's not what we want. We believe we are citizens of the kingdom of God living in America. Hear me. If you want to use biblical language, I'll say this. You are a pilgrim in America. You're a soldier. If you're a Christian, you're a soldier in America. You're a nomad. You're an exile. That's, if we're going to use the language, you're an exile. You live in America, but this is not your home. I care for America. I love me some national anthem. But I'm telling you, my allegiance is not just to... like It's, it's to the kingdom of God. So, for whatever that's worth, you know... Don't kill me after service. Um, so so he, here's, here's why this is a big deal. Um, and, and this is where I'll finish. Um, looking a, across both of these letters and really seeing how we, th- this thing plays out, um, it's evident that this is exactly what Jesus does. I mean, the tightrope walk for us to understand that um, we have to live amongst the Babylonians in truth, we are who we are, but not create our own subculture and isolate our isolate ourselves in grace is exactly what Jesus does well. I mean the perfect example is here a bunch of men surrounding this woman who's caught in adultery and as as she's caught in adultery they're about to throw rocks at her until she's dead and Jesus gets them away he looks at her and he says, hey listen I forgive you, it's okay but go sin no more. Jesus lives with um, a sense of of comfort he lives with a sense of, of godliness he lives with a sense of truth but at the same time, grace I forgive you but go sin no more, that's not okay what you're doing. So um, here's, here's how I, I think I'd finish. As we look at the, the life of Christ, um, I really want to put in front of us this idea of this is why we're doing what we're doing. Because I believe at our core, we should be the best citizens. We should care for our city. You should be looking at, at the taxes the way that you're, you're like if you're a, a type A person, go to the, those school board meetings. Be involved with community development. Care about the valley. God has put you here Acts 17, he has placed you here with your lot of times in the boundaries of your dwelling. You're here because God has placed you here and he's placed you here in exile to be a light. And here's what's bonkers about this whole story. The original point of the people of Israel, the original reason God made a people was he was to set them amongst the nations and have all the nations look at them and say, what is so different about them? Why do they have ideologies about, why do they have beliefs, philosophies? What is so different about them? But they were failing at at doing that. They did not understand their proper relationship with God. And so what God did said, since you don't want to go to the nations, I'll put you amongst them. And so God, because they don't want to be a light to the nations, he puts them in that nation. this is exactly what he's done to us. We are now scattered. We are a community of, group, uh, uh, of people. We gather on Sundays, but we do not end on ourselves. I've said it over and over and over again since we've planted. We've started a church for mission. We started a church for mission. We, we believe mission, John Piper says it the best mission exists because worship doesn't. And so we want to take the mission of God and we want to continue to go, go across the city, the valley, Peoria, Goodyear, Tolson, wherever you are, and be good citizens. Pray for your city. Be involved in your city, but don't lose, um, don't lose the culture in which God has given you at the same time. So I'm going to read a quote to you very quickly, but, but before I do, um, I just want to finish with this thought so you can understand. This should create insane amounts of swag for you, honestly. Like, you should have a ridiculous amount of confidence in knowing this, that um, I am—this is a big deal because I think we get caught in both worlds— I am a, a citizen of the kingdom of God, and therefore, I don't have to worry when they get frustrated that I don't believe in same-sex marriage. I don't have to worry that I'm, I'm looked down upon because I don't have the same views of truth and tolerance as they do. I got swag, bro. Jesus, Jesus took care of what he did. He came as an example. I know what citizen I am. I understand that, that because we're not, we're not part of the same city, I understand that I'm a, a citizen from a different land that we're not going to believe the same things. I'm comfortable with that. And so I want to continue to get to know you, continue to learn your customs, but I'm never going to be a part of them. And at the same time, I don't got to worry about all these people judging me from the other side. Who are you, why are you hanging out with him? Jesus is accused of being a drunkard in Matthew 11. Like, I get in trouble so much for telling people, like, Christians over and over, you need to drink beer, right? Like, listen, I don't do it, okay? Um, I can say this over and over, but I'm a sinner. You can, but I need you to do one, okay? Um, No, breathe. I shouldn't have said that. Jim's going to kill me, Um, okay? Listen, but here's what I say. I would say yes, like, be involved. Have a beer with your neighbor. Get involved. I watch The Simpsons, man, and and I'm comfortable with it. I know I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, and I don't have to worry about the church judging me. I understand where my mission is involved in the Babylonians. I'm comfortable in who, who I am with my neighbors. I don't have to be worried about being judged by the church here, and I don't have to be worried about being judged by the world here because I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. I am amongst the Babylonians, but I am not one of them. John Piper says it perfectly when he says this. I am wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call Earth my home. Before you know it, I am calling luxuries needs and using my money just as the the same way as an unbeliever does. I begin to forget the war. I don't think much about people perishing, missions, unreached people drop out of my mind. I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. I sink into a secular mindset that looks first to what man can do, not what God can do. It is a terrible sickness. And I thank God for those who have forced me again and again towards a wartime mindset. That's my prayer for you, that we would have a wartime mindset, that we'd believe where we are, who we are in doing what we're doing in both grace and truth amongst the Babylonians. That's what motivates us. That's what pushes us. That's why we do what we do. I'll explain next week how we do it. Let's pray.